And there are some times where worship just seems like it ends too soon. And uh, man, today's just one of those days. I feel like I could have just stayed in that place and just just soaked in the Lord's presence there there all day. Wow, just just so so grateful. Uh, one other announcement: we do have prayer meeting tonight, um, so anybody's invited. We just come here. There is no agenda. There is no performance. There is no anything. We are just come together to pray together. So if you would like to come, everybody is welcome to come. Uh, we'll be at, here at six o'clock just to just to seek the Lord and just to come before the Lord for our needs and and to intercede for our community and for our families and for our schools and for everything else that the Lord might lay on our heart during that time. So everybody's welcome to come and if and if you can make it, we'd love to we'd love to have you here uh, praying with us. And, Let's just pray real quick. Lord, we just love you. We just honor you in this place, Lord. I just, just echo that song. I came here with nothing but all that you've given me, Lord. Make new wine out of me. Make new wine out of us today, Lord. We thank you for the release of your spirit in here, God. We thankful that when we come into these places that you start to, to work in our hearts and we can just tangibly feel you moving through us, Lord. So, Lord, we just surrender this time to you. I surrender my voice to you in this time, Lord, and myself to you, Lord. I pray that every word that comes out of my mouth would come straight from your heart, Lord, and not a single word otherwise. And, and Lord, we just we open up our eyes and our ears and our, our hearts to be able to receive today, Lord, what you would have for us, God. We know that you have... You have brought us here today for a purpose. Every person in here, you've brought every person in here today for a purpose to receive your word and not just to receive it, but for it to change some part inside of us, Lord. So we pray that as we come into this time and we come into your, your presence and we come in to listen to what your spirit, um, has said, Lord, that we, uh, that it would change us, that it would, that it would enter into the depths of our spirit and that we would be new beings and new creations, Lord, and, and that you would just start to transform us in any way that you desire to today, Lord. We thank you for the guidance of your spirit, Lord. We thank you that as we pray and we ask you to take, that we ask that we just yield to you, Lord, and that you would speak and and we would listen, Lord, that we know that you will do so. And because you're good and you love us, Lord, everything that you have to share is uh, is going to be good for us. And so we just we just step into this time, Lord, with, 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 with distractions set aside, with our ears and our eyes open and our minds open to receive your word. We love you and we bless you. We honor you here today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, my, my message title today is Real Freedom. This is a little bit of a follow-up from the last time I spoke. I got to speak um, two weeks ago. And um, if you weren't here for that message, I talked a little bit about the love of Jesus and and, and not just the love of Jesus, but what the love of Jesus does to us. I talked a little bit about the proximity of love as we come close and step from, from viewing the love from the outside to stepping into love as we do that, that it starts to change and transform us, that we start to receive all of the things that the scripture that Jesus says is ours. All of the inheritance that the Lord says is ours becomes ours when we step into his love. And, and I believe that as we do that, there's the Lord is releasing in us new freedom to to live in ways that we've not lived before. When heaven comes to live inside of us, we start to manifest heaven to the world. We start to be who we're supposed to be. 
So we're going to start here in John chapter 8, starting in verse 30. This is what the scripture says. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are descendants of Abraham, they answered him, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say we will become free? Jesus responded, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the Son has set you free, you will really be free. Let me just read this, these verses in the Passion Translation for you real quick because I think this is really, uh, really juicy. It says, Jesus said to those G- Jews who believed in him, when you continue to embrace all that I teach, you prove that you are my followers. For if you embrace the truth, it will release more freedom into your lives. Surprised by this, they said, but we're descendants of Abraham and we're already free. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How could you say that we will be released into more freedom? I speak eternal truth, Jesus said. When you sin, you are not free. You become a slave in bondage to your sin. And slaves have no permanent standing in a family like a son does. For a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free from sin, then become a true son and be unquestionably free. I've been on a little bit of a journey lately, I'll say. The Lord has been redefining some things to me that I thought I would have already known by now. Some words that I would have thought that I've preached messages on, I've taught on, I've used a million times over and over again. The Lord has kind of uh, redefined in me words like love and grace and freedom and holiness. The Lord has been just 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 redefining inside of me. He's been revealing deeper truths in me. And, and it's just been amazing how as, as, I've, as he's revealed these things to me, I've come to realize that I really, for a long time, probably had no real idea what these words actually mean. <laughs> Maybe the definition that I would have applied to them does not even come close to do justice to what these words really do mean. I'll give you a little example. A few months ago, I woke up in the morning. I felt like the Lord asked me the simple question, what is holiness? And I thought, well, that's a good question. That's a hard, that's a hard one to actually explain. I feel like I've used this word a lot. I've talked a lot about it. But when I have to actually put a definition to it, it actually becomes a little bit more difficult. And the Lord revealed to me in, in Second Chronicles, Solomon has ordered the temple to be built. And, and, and they've built the temple exactly as God commanded. They consecrated everything. And the scripture says the priests were, were just actively operating within this temple. And then the scripture says Solomon comes down and he prays over the temple and the glory of the Lord falls on the temple like a cloud. And the scripture said the priests had to leave because they couldn't, they couldn't stand in the glory of the temple. And the Lord asked me this question, when did the temple become holy? And I said, well, when the glory of God fell on me. He says, you're my temple. And what holiness is, is not certain actions. It's not certain um, activities, but it's when you become filled with the glory of God. And then about a week and a half ago, I woke up in the morning. I was getting ready for the gym, and I felt like the Lord asked me this question. What is love? And I was like, 
I don't know why you keep asking me these things, because clearly I don't know the answer. It would seem like a trick question. But I, you know, because I'm a pastor, I have to have the right answer. So I said, God is love. And, and, and here's what the Lord started to reveal to me a little bit. Is that sometimes what, not even sometimes, oftentimes what we do is we go through life and we have these experiences and we hear these words and we use these words and we experience things that we attribute to these words. And what we experience is a corrupt version of this and we start to understand these words with a corrupt mind and a sinful mind and a broken mind. And so then what we do is we hear this phrase like God is love and then we take this corrupt understanding of love that we know and then we apply it to God. And we say God must be all the things that this corrupt idea of love is. And what the Lord was showing me in that phrase, God is love, that only one of those things can be an absolute. Both love and God cannot be an absolute, meaning that you can't swap that phrase and it'd be equally true. You can say God is love, but you can't say love is God because love isn't God. God is God. And that means that love has to abide by the framework that is in the person, in the being, the character of God. We have this perfect example of, of in Jesus Christ of the love of God manifest in this world. And every idea that we have and every understanding that we have about love has to agree with the person and the character of Jesus Christ. And anytime we have anything that doesn't agree or contradicts the person or character of Jesus Christ, then we cannot call that thing love because it cannot possibly be love. Because the purest form of love the purest form of holiness, the purest form of, of grace, the purest form of freedom is all found in the character and the being of God. So, so as the Lord's been redefining these words, he's re, been redefining them in the light of who Jesus is. And I've been able to, to release these messed up kind of perverse ideas of what love and grace and holiness and freedom really are and start to come into this understanding of what the what the truth of what love and grace and freedom and holiness really are and actually a lot of times i think that um um when we hear these what we would probably call these liberal christian ideas a lot of them actually come from this place of 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 using our corrupt experiences to in this corrupt idea of this word and applying it to the Lord. I just think of this simple idea of um, we think in our society, society would tell us that love is tolerant, right? So there's, there's people in, in the Christian community that would say, well, God has to be tolerant because love is tolerant. And that just, I'm sorry, does not, that does not work with the scripture. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can't take that. And, and it, it completely contradicts the life and the being of Jesus. And if, and if that's, and if, and if love is tolerant, then when Jesus would have encountered these people that were lost in sin, he would have said, you just live your truth. You do how you feel. My grace covers all of that. You're okay. Just keep doing you. And that's not what happened. When Jesus encounters Zacchaeus, he has lunch with a man and the man leaves saying, listen, I have lived a life that is filled with sin and I'm telling you, I'm going to make it up. 
I have stolen what I've stolen from people. I'm going to give them back four times what I've stolen. And that's because Zacchaeus came into the love of Jesus. He encountered the love of Jesus and the love of Jesus convicted him into a life that was going to be completely different. Because Jesus isn't tolerant because love isn't tolerant. And you think of the woman who got caught in adultery and she's dragged before the Pharisees and Jesus starts to write in the sand and then he stands up and said, whoever is without sin, cast the first stone. And they, one by one, they slowly walk away until Jesus releases the woman and he says, go and sin no more. You know why? Because love is not tolerant. Because Jesus is not tolerant. Because he has, he has a way for us and the way comes, is rooted in his, in his perfect love for us. So in the scripture in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to Jews that have believed that he is anointed from the Lord. I don't know if, I don't know if they necessarily believe that he's the Messiah. They believe that he's anointed from the Lord. They believe the words that he's sharing with them. And he tells them if they continue to follow him and if they continue to abide in his word, that the truth is going to be revealed to them and this truth is going to release a new freedom in them. And because the Jews have this corrupt worldly, secular understanding of freedom, their response is simply, we are children of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anybody. How can you say we will become free? But Jesus is talking about a higher freedom. He's talking about a real freedom. And there's a reason that Jesus decided to reveal this to these people, and it's because they had chosen to believe in him. And as soon as you decide that you're going to believe in Jesus, as soon as you have surrendered your life and said, Lord, I've given myself to you, then purpose enters into your life. And without that, you will live a purposeless life. And that's just the truth. I know some people would hate to hear that. That's just the truth. You will live a purposeless life. Listen, you can, you can live a life and, 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 and do tons of good things and make advancements that save and heal millions of people. Someday Jesus is going to come back and he's going to set everything right. There's going to be no more sickness, no more disease. And the legacy of that will be gone. And the only legacy that matters will be what have you done with a cross? What has the cross been to you? What has it done to you? And what have you done with it? That's the only thing that's going to matter. All of the advances and all of these things, anything that is absent of Jesus will be worthless and it will be purposeless in that time. And the world will be perfect. But as soon as we enter in, as soon as we say, Lord, I believe in you, I'm choosing to follow you, what we do is we start to surrender to love. We start to surrender to Jesus and he starts to add purpose and meaning into our life. And purpose means destination and the destination is the Father. When, we, when purpose ended in our life, we start to realize that we were created by God to be loved by God, to be children of God and to fulfill the good works that he's done for us. And the good works are not burdensome to us. They're not a burden and I think sometimes this is another corrupt idea that we kind of come into our, comes into our mind where we convince ourselves that the works the Lord has set before us are a burden. Actually, the works the Lord has set before you are your inheritance. It's not, it's not just that the Lord has these things that he wants you to do. It's that the Lord has these things that he wants for you. 
He has these gifts that he wants for you. So if you have the Lord and he starts pressing into your heart and say, I have something for you to do, you don't say, Lord, I would love to do it, but I just cannot take on that burden right now. You say, this isn't a burden. This is your inheritance. We say, I just can't take that on right now. I just don't, I don't have what it takes to take that on. I'm under too much stress right now to take that on. The Lord is saying, I have this as a gift for you. As soon as purpose enters into our life, then freedom has to become redefined. When we're living a life that's just purposeless, then what freedom is, is to be able to choose what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. That's what freedom is. And if most of us, without any knowledge of what the Lord would say, if you would ask us what is freedom, we'd say the ability to choose what we want to do, when we want to do it how we want to do it. That's what freedom is. And when you live a meaningless and purposeless life, that's what freedom is to you. To be able to do what you want to do, how you want to do it, when you want to do it. But then purpose enters in and it gives us a destination and it's the Father's heart. And not only does it give us a destination, but it gives us the ability to get there. And once you discover that you were created for a purpose to be loved by God and to unveil through your lives the glory of the one who created you and loved you, then freedom has to change its entire meaning. Freedom becomes not about being able to choose your own way, but being able to know the way. Freedom becomes not your ability to choose your own way, but your ability to know the way. And in John chapter 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says this. He says, there's a destination that the purpose of your life has given you. And the destination is the Father. And so he says, no one comes to the Father except through me because the Father is the destination. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, I have made a way for you to to reach your destination. I have made a way for you to find yourself in the very place that you've always, always been designed to be with, with the Father. I have this really beautiful example of this in my wife, Emma. In, in Emma's uh, teenage years, um, anybody that's been here might know might know her. But but if you if you weren't, you would never believe this. But Emma went through a little bit of a re- what most people would call a rebellious streak. She says it was just just a time of immaturity. She went through a little bit of a rebellious phase for a few years, and um, and most of us have, if we're being honest. But she went through one that was very. She uh, made just about all of the wrong decisions. And did all about all about the wrong things, and um, and shortly she, after she graduated high school, she and her friend Hillary got an apartment, and and it was this cheap apartment in North Lima. It was cheap because it was above a funeral home, and nobody wants to live above a funeral home. <laughs> That's creepy. Yeah, you hear a noise in the middle of the night, and you're like, "There's supposed to be a dead guy downstairs." So that's that's weird. But it was cheap. But it was really nice. And she moved into this apartment with her friend Hillary, and I had not known Emma at this point. And um, Hillary is still a great friend of hers, and Hillary just always seen something beautiful in Emma. And she was always able to see through all of the kind of dumb things that Emma was doing and see a person that was just beautiful and deserving of love, and, and she seen purpose. And, and, and Hillary loved the Lord, so it doesn't surprise me that she would be able to see this in Emma. 
And not long after that, then my sister moved into this apartment with Emma. And, and my sister, she loves the Lord, and maybe she didn't have everything right, but she was doing all right. She's, she's still doing all right, my sister Sam. And that, that's actually how I met Am, Emma. She, Emma thought that I just had a really great relationship with my sister, but I just kind of had a crush on her roommate. So I was coming to visit. I was like, I don't even like, I don't even like my sister. I, I don't know what you're talking. I don't even like her. I'm just coming because, cause Emma's here. I'm just kidding. Sam's all right. Except when we were younger. I really didn't like her when we were younger. <laughs> but that's how I met Emma. But, but even Sam, Sam was able to see something beautiful in Emma and see through all these things that she did and know that Emma has a purpose and the Lord loves her and has great things for her. And then to just refuse to, to accept that Emma was just going to live the rest of her life in this meaningless and purposeless and, and broken life that, that, that the Lord was going to move in a way that was going to pull her out of this, this mess and give her back to his love. And the Lord was just pursuing her. He would not let her go as much as Emma wanted to get it. The whole premise of Emma moving out of that, out of her house and into this apartment was that she wanted to be free. She wanted to be able to do what she wanted, when she wanted, and how she wanted. She wanted to have to answer to nobody. And the Lord surrounds her with people that are just going to continue to speak life and, 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 and into her. And she just, the Lord refused to let her go, even in that time where she's trying to run and she's trying to get away. The Lord is still surrounding her with people that are going to speak life and truth into her. And, and during that time, she's living in this apartment and, and she just continues to feel this longing, longing in her heart to be able to just release herself from this lifestyle and to go back into what the Lord has for her. Just to be released to that. She has this, just starts to have this internal longing. And what's, what's really cool is a part of Emma's story is that she had spent her, all of her teenage years surrounding herself with people that were, um, active, active in the same lifestyle and the same choices that she was making. And she was afraid to say, she was afraid to say, listen, I'm done with that because she was afraid that meant she would have no friends and nobody. And the Lord, already knowing her, her heart's concerns had had surrounded her with people that were going to love her and speak truth into her. I literally think it was probably a month after Emma had said, I'm done I'm done with this lifestyle that me and Emma started to date. <laughs> so the Lord had already had a plan and, and and he had already worked out all the things that she was concerned about in her heart. He had already worked out ahead of time. But Emma started to um, feel this longing in her heart to walk back in the purpose of the Lord and to, and to be released from this lifestyle and these things that she was doing. And, um, and as she did that, she started to realize that the freedom that she had longed for wasn't freedom at all. That she had longed to be able to choose to do what she wanted, when she wanted, how she wanted, the ability to choose to do whatever she wanted to do. And she realized that that was not freedom at all, that it had left her empty and futile. It had done nothing and given nothing to her. And what she really wanted was to, to choose the way. And so what you guys get to see today is, is this, is this picture of God's grace and mercy and his, and his longing and his heart and his love for Emma because she had chosen the way. And it's amazing what happens when, when we submit to the Lord, how he really does actually transform our hearts. When you come to realize that Jesus, what Jesus displayed on the cross towards us, then we'll start to claim the freedom that he died for. 
Freedom to be who we were always meant to be, the beloved children of God, just like Adam and Eve in the garden before they sinned. All they did was walk with God in the garden. Because sin isn't an exercise of our freedom, it's a thief of our freedom, just like it was in the garden. Let me say that again. Sin isn't an exercise of our freedom, it's a thief of our freedom, just like it was in the garden. Sometimes we fall into this, this way of thinking where we think sin is just, that grace has made sin no big deal. And that's not at all what the scripture says. Listen to what Romans chapter 6, verse 14 says. It says, for, for sin will not roll over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. Grace isn't freedom to sin, it's freedom from sin. Grace empowers us to not sin. If God's grace displayed on the cross is displayed on the cross and the cross is the manifestation of perfect love, then God's grace is to beware of the perfect love of God. God's grace, this awareness of his love should drive us away from sin. If freedom is to know the way and the destination is the Father's heart, the only purpose of sin is to keep us from the place that we were always meant to be. Let me just read this one more time. I feel like this is important. This is something the Lord laid on my heart. I feel like it's so important to us. Grace isn't freedom to sin. It's freedom from sin. Grace empowers us to not sin. If God's grace is displayed on the cross and the cross is a manifestation of perfect love, then God's grace is to be aware of the perfect love of God. God's grace, this awareness of his love, should drive us away from sin. If freedom is to know the way and the destination is the Father's heart, then sin is just there to keep us from the one place you were meant to be with the Father. If you keep reading in Romans chapter 6, verses 15 and 16, it says, what then? Should we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know if you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey, either sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. God's grace empowers us to live a life of complete freedom. So if we know what God has set us free from, then we should also know what God has set us free into because God didn't just set us free from sin. He set us free into a new life. And I have three things that God empowers us to set us free into. The first, freedom to love recklessly. When we aren't, as Psalms 1 says, is we aren't planted by the river of living water, we aren't planted by the source, then love will always be transactional to us. Here's what that means. It means that we are always give love in order to receive love. Because love will always feel like it's on short supply. Like if we were to give too much love and not receive any in return, then we would eventually be spiritually bankrupt. But when we plant, when we come into the love of Jesus and we plant ourselves by the river of, that never runs dry, when we plant ourselves next to the river, then we start to receive resource from the source that never runs dry. The never-ending source. We start to receive source. So then we're free to actually just go and love freely. We don't need any love in return. I'm, I'm okay. I'm free to love you even if you're going to hate me in return because I am never going to be empty. I'm never going to run out because I'm resourced from the source that never runs dry. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, it says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
what Jesus asks us to do, he also empowers us to do. So if he asks us to love us, our enemies, that means he has empowered us to love our enemies. But I've come to realize that it's nearly impossible to do until you've been spiritually set free. Until you found spiritual freedom, it's going to be impossible for you to love your enemy. And, and normally what happens is when before we've been set spiritually free, all of our experiences with people is what, what forms our feelings towards them. Our feelings are formed by, by our experiences with them and the way that they postured themselves either against us or for us. So we decide somebody's our enemy because they have postured themselves against us and we've had negative experiences with them. But when we come into the love of Jesus and we come into the grace of the Lord and we've come, been spiritually set free, then we get a higher view. And it's almost as if we could see over this wall that they've put up, this wall of negativity that we put up, and we are able to see who they really are. And then we're able to love them. Then we're able to take the thing that has been stirred up inside of us, this thing that has transformed and changed our hearts and our lives, and we're able to release it into theirs. And if they reject us, that's okay. We're all right because we are, we are sourced from the, the never-ending source. When we have true freedom, when we come into real freedom, then joy and peace are never able to be stolen from us. Because our joy and our peace are found only in Jesus. I've always remembered the story where Paul is in, in, in prison and, and, um, and the, the scripture says that the doors fly off the prison and they're just, they just stay there. <laughs> And I've always been amazed by that because, because what the Lord showed me was that, was that they didn't leave because the, the, the joy and peace wasn't found on outside of the prison. They already had that. They were, there to, they were there to do the work of the Lord. Stephen, Stephen in the scripture, he's about to be stoned for sharing the gospel. He's doing the Lord's work. They're about to throw stones at him and murder him. And as they're picking up their stones to throw stones at him, he cries out this to God. He said, God, don't hold this against them. Stephen was so transformed, so filled with the love of Jesus, so consumed by his love that even as people are about to murder him, all that he has to give back is love. That's it. All he has to give back to them is love. I have nothing to give you but love. I have been so filled with the love of God. I don't have any room for any negativity. He doesn't, he doesn't stand there and say, say, vengeance is yours, Lord. He doesn't stand there and say that. He says, don't hold this against them, Lord. Because I have nothing to give you but love. I have nothing to give but love. I have nothing to give but forgiveness. That's what freedom really looks like. It empowers us to love recklessly. Number two, the second thing that the freedom empowers us into. Freedom to live fearlessly. Here's what Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 and 26 says. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. Don't they sow or reap or gather into barns? Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't, they, aren't you more worthy than them? Pay attention to that last line that Jesus asked. It may sound like just such a rhetorical question. Aren't you more worthy than them? In our minds, we know that we're more worthy than them. There's only one thing that actually makes us more, more worthy than the birds. And that's that the Lord has created us in his image and he called us his own. It's the only thing. 
Because at the end of the day, the birds will go back to the ground and we will go back to the ground. The difference is we have a spirit inside of us that will live forever. The only thing that separates us from the birds is the fact that we were made in the image of God and he calls us his own. And if you really start to believe that you are more worthy than the birds, then the birds will start to testify of a God who will never let you down. If you really start to believe that you are more worthy than them, you'll look at them and say, if they have food to eat, then I'll have food to eat. I don't need to worry. If the Lord has taken care of them, he'll take care of me because I am made in his image and I'm called his own. And when that reality starts to come into our hearts, it starts to come into our soul and starts to shake, take shape inside of us, then we can ask the same question that the scripture asks, what can mere man do to me? What can man do to me? What can life throw at us that would possibly separate us from the truth that the Lord loves us, that his grace covers us? In Romans chapter 8, this is what the scripture says, starting in verse 31. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died, but even more, he has been risen. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors than who, through him who loves us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things of the present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is literally nothing that can separate you from the reality of God's love. Nothing. Nothing can separate you. No human circumstance, no life event can ever separate you from the love that is yours from Jesus. The third, the third thing that the, that the freedom of the Lord empowers us into, freedom to come to the Father in confidence. This is by far the greatest. Hebrews chapter four says this, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempered or tempted in every way, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. This is above, this is far and above greater than our freedom to, to love recklessly. It's far and above greater than our freedom to live fearlessly is our freedom to come to the Father in confidence. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe, the one who has no rivals and have, has no equals. Nobody stands toe to toe to God. The one who is sovereign over literally everything. We get to come to him in confidence, in boldness, when we're in need and we come in confidence knowing that he loves us and he'll give us the things that we need. I'm going to close up here if the worship team wants to, wants to come up. Psalm chapter 118, verse 5. 
says this, out of my distress, I called on the Lord and the Lord answered me and set me free. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord and the Lord answered me and set me free. I'm praying that even in this time that the Lord will start to just, just release a freedom inside of us. I know this. I know that the freedom of the Lord only comes with a deeper revelation of his love. So I'm just praying right now that, that, that even in this time as we close up this service, that the Lord would start to release in your spirit a deeper revelation of his love for you. That it would just start to stir inside of you and, and, and change things inside of you. That it would start to set you free. Set you free from the need to, to, to have transactional love. Set you free from fearful life. Set you free to come to the Father in confidence because the Lord has set you free. If the Son has set you free, you are really free. I'm praying that the Lord in this time, he would set you free to burn with the love of Jesus. There's a script, there's this song by Maverick City. In this song, he say, a burning man doesn't care what he looks like. He doesn't care what he sounds like. And I'm praying that that becomes us, that we become so consumed with the Lord's love, that we become so consumed with the presence of God, that it would start to manifest itself all throughout our lives, that we wouldn't care anymore what we look like, what we sound like, what people think of us, but we would give all of ourselves to him. So Lord, we surrender to you today, God. Lord, we know that nothing, nothing, nothing we can do here is worth anything without you, Lord. You are the only one who's made a way for us to live in the place and the purpose that we've always meant to be. That you made a way for us to come to the Father, Lord, so we come to the Father. Lord, if you've made a way, we'll go. Lord, I pray that, that we live our entire life with that moment in mind, that someday we stand before the Father and we say, Father, I've lived my whole life for this. I've lived my whole life for this moment and every trial was worth it and every rejection was worth it and every hardship was worth it and every step was worth it, Lord. I've lived my whole life for this moment just to be here with you. I pray we live our whole lives with that in mind, with that moment in mind. We thank you that your love sets us free, that you've made a way for us, Lord. So we give all of ourselves to you, Lord. Make us an offering to you, Lord. Make us an offering to you. We bless you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.